1: Welcome to Monsters Among Us Season 6. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Thank you all for circling back and tuning in. I have an amazing season opener lined up for you guys. And I know it's been a while, but these past few weeks have given me time to not only clear my mind, but prepare for this upcoming season. So thank you all for your patience while I took that little break. Well, hey, I know you guys have been waiting for a long time for the show's return, so I'll stop yapping. And we'll start with the spooky stuff. Our very first call of the season comes to us all the way from the Transylvania region of Romania.
2: Hello there. I'm a big fan of the show. And I've been binge listening to a bunch of podcasts. And I remembered a story that I haven't heard anybody talk about on the podcast. And I haven't been able to find anything online relating to this subject. So I'm actually calling from Eastern Europe, Transylvania, but this is not going to be about vampires. I live in an urban area and I have a dog and usually we go out for a quick walk at night, 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, just for a quick run and that's it. Usually nothing happens, nothing eventful just you're maybe, like, creepy person, that's about it. But this particular night, we, we're, we like, wrapping up our walk, and my dog is pulling, like, there's no tomorrow. And I realize that something's off. And I'm looking around, and I can't really, like, I'm looking to see, like, is there, like, a creepy person or something? And I can't see anything. And then all of a sudden, like, in, like, one of the shadowy areas, I realized that there's a face staring back at me. Like I can clearly tell that there's this pair of eyes that's just locked on me. And it just, it just chose me to the bone. Like even talking about it now, like I'm just out of breath and panicky, basically. And I can't put my finger on like why this is freaking me out so much because We do see cats and dogs and things when we're out for a walk. But, like, this was completely different. So as my eyes are adjusting to the darkness around this thing that was darker than the dark around it, I realized that it looks like a black cat. But the face was not that of a cat. It's almost like at Halloween, like, just when people put, like, Halloween masks, like, on their pets, so the body's, like, of a dog or a cat, but then the face is, like, humanoid. So anyway, I think nothing of it, really. We just sprint home, and I chalk it up just being, like, a weird, like, cat that we bump into, and then I remember this story that my grandmother told me when I was, like, five years old, and it's basically of shape-shifting men. Now, the name that they have for this is called burkolach, which if you translate it, it basically says um, like werewolves, but there are no stories about werewolves in Eastern Europe. It's basically men who transform into cats and basically like they tumble forward three times or something and they turn into cats. And I always thought that these stories were just meant to keep me in line as a kid, like, I never took them seriously. But she told me of a story of when she was young. So this is, like, going back, like, 80 years or so. And apparently the village or the town that she lived in, like, at one point, villagers started noticing, like, everybody has, like, a homestead, so they keep animals. And villagers started noticing that some of the animals would go missing in the night, and then they would like turn up half eaten mutilated the next day so at one point they get fed up with this and they decide like all the men in the village decide to stay up and try and catch whatever animal is like mutilating and eating their animals because there are wolves and bears and things and At one point, I don't know, like past midnight, three o'clock in the morning, something, they suddenly hear like a noise in the chicken coop. And when they rush in, they see this cat. Now, these cats are not like gigantic cats, but they're obviously bigger than like your house cat. So they see this black cat that doesn't really look like 100% like a cat attacking a chicken. And they start making noise, whatever, and then one of the villagers manages to wound the cat with, like, a pitchfork or some sort of tool. The story goes that, or what my grandma said, is that the next day, like, one of the villagers shows up, like, one of the men in the village shows up with a bandage and a wound on the arm that they were, they had wounded the cat The previous night and that's where the story ends and like basically the villagers realized that the man was a shapeshifter and he was the one killing their chickens and and animals so obviously I never believed this and I just thought it was like part of the lore and the folklore and everything and then I had this experience with this cat and I'm sure that it was just someone's pet cat that was out at night and I was like hyper vigilant and I was just panicky and scared because of the dark but then again I can't help but think like what if my grandma was right what if what if these things exist what if it's not just werewolves that exist in in like Hollywood movies what if Cat men exist. What if these shape-shifting men actually exist? What if these burkolach actually exist? It just, I don't know. I Like, now I'm a true believer, and my grandmother's no longer around. Unfortunately, she passed away many years ago. And I, can, I, I can't I go tell her, like, I believe you. I, I feel like I've witnessed something that you told me about when I was a kid. And she told these stories to me for me to be on the lookout. They now I realize they weren't to scare me. Anyway, long story short, or very long story, I love the podcast, keep up the great work, and I can't wait for the next episode. Bye.
1: Thank you so much for calling in from so far away. Just a reminder to others overseas, you can also record your story on your phone or computer and just email me the MP3 or WAV file. No need to add to your phone bill. But in this case... I'm very glad that she did. Now, full disclosure, when I was a kid, I was completely fascinated with cats. Big cats, house cats, anything feline. That fascination grew when I learned about werewolves. My immediate thought was that if someone could become part man, part dog, then certainly I could become part man, part cat. And since big cats are way scarier than wolves, I couldn't help but imagine all of the new powers I would have if I became a werecat. Well, obviously that transformation never occurred, but the fascination still lingers with me. Now, I did my best to uncover more about this mysterious legend, but due to the movie franchise Hotel Transylvania, the waters are fairly muddied, so I wasn't able to pull up much of anything on it. But I will say our friends over at Blurry Photos Podcast did a pretty decent job with the ghost story our caller shared. You can hear that story on their Campfire Ghost Stories 4 episode, or just follow the link in tonight's show notes. I'd like to thank you again, caller, for sharing this story. Perhaps you merely saw a scraggly cat in the weeds, but the story that that encounter triggered was downright astounding. Our next story comes to us from a repeat offender. The following is a doppelganger story from past submitter TJ Strange.
3: Hi, Derek. T.J. Strange. Um, So this story starts many, many years ago. Um, I was about 15 years ago, actually, because I was 14 the first time this started. And uh, I live in Salem, Alabama. I've lived in Alabama my entire life. Um, In Alabama, at least when I was 14, you were allowed to get your motorcycle license at 14. So I did, and therefore... I was the youngest person with a driver's license at my school Um, also in those days I was really into metal and was what you would call a goth kid I looked like the crow every day you know the Brandon Lee movie anywho so people used to tell me then that they had seen me places where I had not been at first I was it off thinking you know it could be any long-haired goth kid on a motorcycle, which you might think would me, was me. Um, well, as I got a little older, I started getting into punk rock and started, I had a mohawk and dyed my hair, every color that you can think of. And I would still constantly have people tell me that they were seeing me in places where I had not been. I started getting piercings, same thing, People would see me places I had not been. I didn't think much of it for a long, long time. Um, Then I had two fairly recent experiences that has kind of made me think, maybe there's something more to this. So in 2013, one of my friends that lives in Las Vegas called me upset that I had not told him that I was coming to Las Vegas. Um, I have never left the South except for going to Chicago. Aside from that, the Southern states are the only states I've ever been to. Um, so I told him, you know, there's no way that you saw me in Las Vegas. Well, he was very adamant that he had seen me and said that he knew it was me because same piercings, same tattoos. And that kind of stood out to me, same tattoos. Now, my tattoos are not particularly unique but maybe the placements would be a little more so. Regardless, I find it unlikely that somebody would have the same tattoos as me in the same places as me, especially considering one of the main ones that anyone can see is on my forearm and it's actually a painting that one of my friends had done, an original piece of art. So I highly doubt anyone else would have that tattoo. Um, There again, I shrugged it off. You know, we made jokes about me having a doppelganger. I've had, again, multiple reports of people saying that they'd seen me places where I had not been. Um, but that one stood out because of the tattoos. And then about two weeks ago, um, one of my friends is going into the Army, and we were planning a going-away dinner at his parents' house. Uh, I couldn't make it because I had to babysit my son. Um, I couldn't take him with me. And this was in Tuskegee, Alabama, is where the, the dinner was supposed to be happening. Um, I live in Salem, Alabama. It's about 30, 45 minutes away. Um, so after I'd ex- explained to my friend that I was not going to be able to make his the dinner at his parents' house, then I started getting texts from other people who were attending saying that they were seeing me in Tuskegee in my truck. Um, And one of them that really stood out to me was, well, my partner in a t-shirt company that I've started. Um, He's the artist, and we we meet with each other every week. Uh, We know each other quite well. I've seen people who resemble him but I have never seen anyone that I thought was him and he was sure that he was seeing me in Tuskegee while I was sitting in Salem with my son. Um so, short story, but I thought you might like to hear it. Love the podcast,
1: keep it up. Bye. Thank you, TJ I remember knowing goths in both high school and college, and even though I knew them, I couldn't help but notice that they all seemed to look a lot alike. Same manner of dress, same hair color, and often same style, and similar makeup. So especially at a distance, they all kind of looked similar to me. So it's no surprise that people may mistake one goth for another. this could very well be a cut and dry case chalked up to simple misidentification. But that does not explain the ability to identify certain tattoos that belong to TJ. Now sure, I suppose it's possible that the witnesses simply saw the tattoos in the appropriate location and imagined that they were the exact design that TJ had. Or perhaps it was dark and the details weren't as prominent and the imagination filled in the rest. But here's my biggest hangup on this account. I've heard countless doppelganger stories, but I've never heard one person have so many experiences with the phenomenon. So either there's something strange going on, no pun intended, or perhaps there's something more to all of this. Either way, I find the stories fascinating and truly appreciate you calling in, TJ. If only someone caught a picture of this mystery man. Now before we move on to our next call, I have a special message and bonus encounter story from our very own Warren Pawn Abbott.
4: Hey Derek, it's Warren. Um, wanted to do something a little bit different um, as a way of saying thank you to everyone that donated uh, to me and Addie uh, just kind of as a way to show my appreciation for it. Um, as you know, the show has been a really big help to me. Um, I love it. And... I love being able to do it. Uh, there are times when I've gotten really down, and then I see one of your stories come in for me to read, and that perks me right up. And it means a lot that uh, people appreciate what I do. Um, it just means the world to me. So thanks again uh, to you, Derek, and to everyone who donated, and just to the listeners in general. Um, hopefully you guys like what I do Um, so A long time back when I first contacted you Uh, about reading stories I'd said that I had a story of my own And as part of my thank you, I wanted to share it It's nothing crazy Um, and I think we already have an explanation for it But here it goes Um, I was about 12 or 13 And It was, you know, a regular day, regular night. I went to bed. And the next thing that I remember was this very intense whitish-blue light streaming through my window, filling my entire room in light blue and gray shadows. I remember my body being completely tense, rigid, uh, arms kind of down at my sides as though I was like strapped down, and I was levitating off of the bed. I don't know if I was really levitating, but that's, that's how I would describe feeling. Um, in my memory, which, you know, it's been a while, but in my memory I was levitating off the bed and being like held in place. Um, and then I just remember some sort of a presence it didn't feel particularly malevolent or benevolent uh, it didn't feel either of those necessarily it was just there was something there um, and I don't know what it was uh, I don't know how long this lasted it felt like forever um, but uh that was that was pretty much it the uh, the next thing i remember i woke up in the morning and i remember telling all of my friends about it at high school uh or no not high school yeah i think i must have told some of my high school friends about it years later and one of them told me it was a psychic vampire anyway <laughs> uh yeah that's it I'm sure the explanation is is simple, and it was likely some form of sleep paralysis. Um, But what's interesting to me about this story isn't that it happened, but what happened after. I think it was around this time that I noticed shifts in my personality, um, changes in the way I saw the world and the way uh, things affected me. And I won't get into details about those changes necessarily but I'm really curious if anybody who has experienced sleep paralysis or or an experience like mine, uh, maybe it wasn't sleep paralysis, maybe it was aliens uh, but I, d- I would just love to know if anybody else has experienced major, and I mean very major, personality changes um, after an experience like that uh, and if so i I know I personally would love to hear their stories and and maybe hear a little bit about what they uh experienced um, as far as those changes go so anyway, that's my story. I do have another one involving camping recently, but i'll I'll maybe save that for another you know year and a half, two years down the road uh, anyway, again, thank you to everyone who donated thank you so much Derek uh, for putting out this show um, for giving me the opportunity to read uh, people's stories occasionally doing a a silly voice and for uh, making me uncomfortable when I go camping now because apparently I listen to the show too much (laughs) anyway that's all I got man Uh, I love the
1: show thanks Thank you so much, Warren, not only for the story, but for all you've done for the show over the past few years. Without your voice, the show would not be half of what it is today. Now, as for Warren's story, it sounds like a classic case of sleep paralysis to me, which is easy for me to say from the comfort of my 85 degree studio, but what really caught my attention was his mention of feeling different after the event. This phenomenon, perhaps surprisingly, is reported often although usually involving poltergeist hauntings. Changes in mood, physical and mental energy, focus, and sleep have all been reported as a result of unusual activity. Of course, it's entirely possible that an episode of sleep paralysis could have the same results. Despite its rather benign effects, sleep paralysis can really mess with the victim's head, causing irrational fear and paranoia, for starters. And I hope for your sake, Warren, that it was merely a night terror, and not some sort of demon or energy vampire. Thank you again Warren for everything. And since we just heard from Warren I thought it would be fun to play one of the calls that he performed. So without further ado the following is an anonymous submission from the state of Texas.
4: This story is one that has unfortunately stuck with me. Something I've carried and had several nightmares about in the following years since. I want to begin by stating that even though I've been listening to the show for quite a while, I was finally inspired to write this out because of the music in one of your recent shows. During Season 5, Episode 11, there was at one point in the background music that sounded like an echoed, singing, wailing, which quite frankly was a bit jarring. Remember and hold, if you can, this sound. During the spring semester of college in 2011, I was awarded a significant scholarship through my university to study abroad. I'm from the American South, East Texas to be specific, and wanted to study somewhere less recognizable or romanticized to most American minds. After studying my options, I settled with a small program at a university in Sarajevo, Bosnia and Herzegovina. In late August, I boarded a plane and after two exhausting layovers, was fully enrolled and escorted to my new dorm where I met my German roommate. I want to begin the next part by qualifying the situation. That is, I am a gay man and the situation in Bosnia for LGBT people is less than ideal. After settling into a routine for several weeks, I went to a bar with my roommate and met a Bosnian guy that I began to really like. He was a head taller than me, rather burly and extremely sweet. We began to see each other regular and I found that I really enjoyed spending my time with him. Because of the cultural situation, we often would only meet at evening or night and stay together in more accepting venues or each other's homes. We had come to an arrangement over several weeks of dating where, if I was at his apartment until very late at night, he would walk me halfway to my dorm, seeing me through a park before embracing and turning back. Sarajevo is honestly, despite the stereotype, a relatively safe city, so I had never been too worried about walking alone at night. I was also comforted in being escorted part way by such a large guy. One particular night, I fell asleep at his apartment, and we awoke a little after three, much later than I usually stayed. It was late September and a little warm. And I remember walking to the window and looking out into a beautiful, clear night sky. I woke him and stated that I really needed to get home before the neighborhood starts bustling and that I would leave now to prevent being seen. He agreed and we began the short walk. I remember the warm weather so distinctly because it reminded me of home, very humid. And I was wearing only a t-shirt and shorts and him only a thin tank and sweats. I also distinctly remember how clear the sky was, beautiful with only a few stars visible due to the city lights. We reached the entrance to the park and he stated he wanted to turn around early because he was still very sleepy and worked early the next morning. I told him it would be okay and to get some rest. I'd made this walk a million times with him and alone during the day. We embraced and he turned around. I started my normal walk and I began to feel uneasy. I wasn't sure why, but continued walking through the park. It wasn't far to my dorm then something I'll never forget. I felt a light breeze hit my skin. I thought it was strange because there was no indication of wind like this previously. It began to come in short intervals, light and cold. Then I heard the noise. The wailing noise, similar to the music described, but slightly different and distinct still, began from a small grove of trees several places behind me. It was terrifying and would also come in short intervals of varying pitch. I began to run, picking up pace, trying to quickly run inside, and that's when I saw what keeps coming to me in my nightmares. Just outside the park, in a small alley between two larger buildings, stood a large shadow, a dark creature that couldn't have stood anything less than seven feet tall. It sauntered slowly with a slightly abnormal gait, It had two long arms with long bony fingers that came to a point, and it stood on two legs with inverted knees. It continued to walk very slowly, almost nonchalantly toward the lit street where I stood. Its hands made contact with the stone buildings on either side of it as it moved. I couldn't see any feature or colors other than the darkness. I ran to my dorm terrified of it possibly following me and found my roommate passed out drunk with a few of his friends. He jolted awake when I slammed the door closed and was more annoyed with me despite my tears and crying. He had no recollection of me coming home the next morning. Two nights later, I told the guy I was dating and he told me not to worry about it. I was still half asleep and probably imagined it. Any time I tried to ask him later, he wouldn't talk about it. It was odd because he never seemed the superstitious type. I know it sounds odd and it's such a short experience, but I wanted to share. Like I said, the creature has since appeared in my nightmares a few times since it really stuck with me. Thank you so much for a great show, and keep up
1: the great work. Thank you, Caller. I'll start off by saying that this kind of sounds familiar. Back in the early 2000s, a man dressed as an alien roamed the streets of a small UK town. For more on that, here's a clip from Undercurrent's Palio.
5: Now, they say the camera never lies, except in this studio, of course. But in Bournemouth last night, they couldn't believe their eyes. The town's security cameras picked up the shadowy figure of an eight-foot alien stomping through the town's centre. Within minutes, the police arrived to arrest the beast. But, as Sue Greenfield explains, all wasn't quite as it seemed. It appeared from nowhere. Suddenly, through the mist, an eight-foot alien was spotted walking through Bournemouth town centre in the early hours this morning. A lone security guard picked up the outline of the shadowy predator on the street's cameras. Within seconds, the police were on the scene, unaware the latex creature was starring in a pop video.
1: They started circling around the roundabouts and they weren't quite sure whether to stop or, or what to. do. I mean, they'd obviously been uh, tipped off by the closed-circuit TV people that there was an eight-foot alien rampaging up the of uh, town center. So they must have been like pretty edgy by the time they got here. And uh, I sort of felt a bit sorry for them actually.
5: The alien was in fact a friend of Ark's called Dean. He'd taken an hour to get into costume for the video for Ark's new single, Spiky Message. <laughs>
1: It's a song about freedom, freedom to do what you want to do, when you want to do it. And uh, that includes if you want to dress up as an alien.
5: After giving the alien a quick dressing down, it was the police who disappeared into outer space today. We couldn't find anyone on duty who knew anything about the incident. ARC hopes the single will catapult him into chart success. And as for the video, it could end up with a few unpaid extras. Sue Greenfield in Bournemouth for Meridian tonight.
1: So I shared all that for this reason. I'm wondering if what our caller saw that evening was just someone taking their brand new homemade alien suit out for a spin. Or perhaps they too were trying to trick CCTV cameras. And I'll be honest, I do not know a lot about the myths and legends of that region of the world. So perhaps there's some historical clout to this experience. So if any of you out there have any insight on this, drop me a line. I attempted to find a cryptid from that area that also fit the description, but sadly came up empty-handed. Whatever this thing was, it certainly sounds terrifying. Thank you again, caller, for taking the time to share. Next up, we head back to the States for a few ghostly encounters, sure, to raise a few hairs. The following is Michael's call from the state of Illinois.
6: Hey, Derek. Uh, My name is Michael from Illinois Um, I thought I'd record a series of about five short stories that happened to me over the span of about ten years that I think are kind of related. Um, It always felt like the same entity or energy, um, but it all started probably whenever I was about ten years old. Well, it all started, I mean, it was kind of always... I had a feeling about that house, like it was the house I grew up in and it just never really felt comfortable. It always felt like there was someone or something waiting, uh at the opposite end of a set of stairs that were in the house. Um Whenever I was in the basement, I was fine going being in the basement, but like trying to go up the stairs, it always felt like there was something waiting for me just, run the, just, just at the top of the stairs. And whenever I would go down the stairs, it always felt like there was something waiting at the bottom. It, it was just really peculiar. Um, I would always hear strange things around the house, but um, it was kind of an older house, um, especially in our neighborhood. It was one of the older houses. So I never really thought that much of it other than that it was just, you know, um, old house stuff. So the first weird, most first strange thing that happened to me was um, a little bit embarrassing, but uh, it was probably whenever I was like, I don't know, young, adolescent, somewhere between 10 and 12 years old. And I was in a bathroom that we had in the upstairs, and it was really short, narrow bathroom and like literally the only the amount of space you'd need for a sink a toilet and like a four by four cubic shower standing shower um so it was a really tiny bathroom and I'm in there with the door shut and um I'm just about to turn the shower on and um like when I, I go in there dressed get ready for the shower and my clothes are kind of piled in the corner by the door and, uh, like, one of my, a pair of briefs, like, picked up and flew across the bathroom and landed at my feet, which, granted, it was only, like, I don't know, maybe three feet away, three or four feet away, um, it was the only article cl- clothing that moved, um, and it was just kind of really strange and peculiar, I didn't think that much of it after that, um, other than, you know, I mean, it was natural, it was almost, like, Oh, it was kind of a ghost thing. It was, there was, like, the, that kind of weird activity in that house wasn't strange to me. Like, sometimes it would make me feel uncomfortable, but the presence of it was almost like, um, second nature. Um, so, second thing that happened to me was, I guess it didn't really happen to me, but it was just another clue that there was something in the house was I had a, a girlfriend at the, uh, when I was 15 years old, 14, I think. And uh, she was older than me, and she would drive. She was like 16 or whatever, and she would um, be driving and would be dropping me off at my house. And one, one time, there was nobody else home. So we're sitting in the driveway kissing or whatever, and she um, gets kind of spooked and says, That asks me if I'm sure that there's no one in my house. That it asks me if I'm sure there's no one home. And I said, Yeah, there's nobody home. I there's definitely nobody home all the lights are off and she explains that she saw a woman in a, a small window next to the front door that was there it's kind of just like a little peering window but she said that she saw a woman against with her face up to the window and her eyes around her or her hands around her eyes like uh you know cupping her eyes to try and see out better I was like no there's definitely nobody home that's kind of strange so then the um, second time, somebody else saw the exact same thing, but he, and he was my best friend at the time, and, uh, he actually didn't really get along with, uh, my girlfriend that I had, and this was probably around a year later that this happened, and he, we were, he also was driving, and we were getting, going to my house, and we were gonna hang out, and nobody was home, and, he as we're walking up to the door he's saying are you sure nobody's home and i said yeah and he starts acting kind of strange he was like i swear i just saw a woman against the window with her hands cupped around her eyes like looking out i was like well that's really strange because and that's what i told her or told him that uh this girl had said the same exact thing just a little while ago around a year and uh you know he becomes really interested he wants to do like a not, not exactly a seance, but he wants to record, like, us trying to communicate with whatever spirits there is Because he was really enthusiastic about all that stuff. So I was interested because it was like, hey, man, you know, two totally unconnected people saw the same thing in this window. So maybe there's something there. So we do go into the basement. And we've got a camera and recording and everything. And we're asking, is you know, is there a spirit here with us? We're trying to ask it questions. Nothing's happening. Um, we looked over the videos after that, and I, I don't remember anything peculiar happening. But um, right after we stopped recording, we just kind of gave up. We're like, eh, whatever. A few moments after we stopped recording, there was like a styrofoam plane up on a um, like a seat, or it was it was elevated somewhere i don't remember exactly what exactly it was on top of but it fell off like it fell to the floor and we're both like Ooh. Uh, but that's completely explainable um but the most strange thing that happened to me which i always thought was kind of disconnected from uh, or was connected from ghosts until i started listening to this podcast and or other podcasts and getting back into uh being more interested about um, spirits and things like that, I realized that uh, I have seen a shadow figure and that um, whenever I was like 17 years old or 16 or 17, because was, there was there were bedrooms in the basement and my whole life I had slept in the upstairs portion of the house. Um, so there were two upstairs, two downstairs, and till I was like 18, I slept in the upstairs one and right before I moved downstairs I'm sleeping and I wake up in the middle of the night which is totally unlike me like I'm a solid sleeper I sleep through uh, not through like cataclysmic events or anything but I'm, I sleep all night no problem I never wake up really and I wake up in the middle of the night and I look over I, I turn over to my right and there's this as other people have described it blacker than black dark figure standing next to the bed looking at me. And um, I thought it, it, the reason I connect it to the rest of the experiences I've had in the house is because it felt like a woman presence. And I asked him, Mom, why are you in my bedroom? Like, do you need some, what, what are you doing? And it turns, I can t- see it turn around and then just like disappear back into the darkness and uh... was retrospectively it's really uncomfortable but at the time it was like big shrug and like okay well it's gone i guess and rolled over and went back to sleep and uh... i've never really experienced sleep paralysis and stuff like that so um, and since i rolled over I i don't think i uh... was experiencing that so i brought it up to my parents the next day uh, and my mom was like, she didn't want to really want to hear about it. She didn't like hearing about those kinds of things. And then, uh, so yeah, I just thought I'd share those stories with you. Um, I've got a UFO story, too, that is a really strange object in the sky, but I'll call back about that, um, give you a little bit more content. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this, and I hope it's not too long. It's uh, I had shared a lot of stories in one, one little drop, so...
1: Uh, Thanks for listening, and uh, keep out the great work. Thank you, Michael. A couple things stuck out to me regarding this call. First is the report of seeing an entity with cupped hands peering out the window. I could not help but imagine those cheesy Halloween props that you can get at Walmart or Target that essentially do the same thing. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, I've posted a picture of one of these in the show notes. I suppose looking at these things in the store, they can come off as a bit hokey, but when placed in a darkened window, I could see how they could inspire a jolt or two. The second thing that I took note of was more funny than anything. I laughed out loud at Michael's response to seeing the shadow being. Simply rolling over and saying, "Eh, I guess it's gone. Ice cold, my friend, ice cold. At any rate, thank you, Michael, for sharing these experiences. It's funny how these small events seem to accumulate to something much more dark and menacing. Be sure to let us know if anything else comes across your way. Alright, I have one more story to share with you, but before I do... It's been a while, so I feel I need to remind everyone. I'm still looking for haunted school or university stories, so if your alma mater has a famous ghost, please consider submitting today. I'm hoping to release this special episode the first week of September, so you only have a few weeks to get those stories in. We are barreling towards 700 reviews on the Apple Podcast app. But that is in no way satisfying. We need more. So if you haven't yet done so, please leave a rate and review. And if you've already done so, steal your significant other's phone and leave another. I promise I won't tell anyone. The point being that the higher these numbers are, the more people find the show. And in turn, the more people submit stories. So really, it benefits us all. A big thank you to all those that have and will submit reviews. If you have not noticed, the show's shop is stocked. And that is a difficult sentence to say. We now have all sizes of shirts and a brand new decal. And if there's a product you'd like to see in the shop, just let me know. I'm always looking for new ways to spread the word. I want to take a quick moment to thank Terry G for her generous donation. Thank you, Terry. For those that don't know, I was recently a guest on Paradelphia Radio. Rick, Doug, and I discussed Mirrored Men, so I highly suggest heading over to their website and checking out that episode. You can also find a link in tonight's show notes. And if you haven't heard, I will be hosting the town hall meeting at this year's Crypticon, September 8th and 9th, in Frankfurt, Kentucky. I don't have all the details just yet, but as they come in, I will be sure to let you guys know. So head over to crypticon.com and pick up your ticket. And last but not least, if you're looking for new shows to check out, might I suggest our friends over at Idiots Discuss the Universe. The big questions. Can I, can I curse? Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: Okay, yeah, let it all out. The hard truths. Because anything that we're bound to talk about, we're bound to sound like idiots.
1: Idiots discuss the universe. We're
7: poorly informed, highly opinionated, and hold no topic off limits. Like and subscribe on iTunes or listen on your favorite interweb podcast portal. Mm.
1: Take it from this idiot. You want to check them out. All right, enough of all that. Let's get back to the program. Our next and final entry is of the written variety. The following is Annie's account from the state of Arizona. My name is Annie, and I live in Arizona. I was turned on to your podcast after looking for some answers since my experience. Since I enjoy your podcast so much, I wanted to do my part and submit the story. This story takes place February 2018 in Central Bradshaw Mountain Range in Arizona. My husband and I hold a few mining claims. One is located in the Bradshaw Mountains. I have spent years climbing over the beautiful hills and exploring the history that saturates the area there. It has always been my favorite place to go and decompress. So I was very irritated when something happened to me on a recent trip that caused me to be too afraid to go back out there. I am a native, born and raised here. I know the deserts and feel totally comfortable and confident, no matter where I am. This particular day, we had taken the 45-minute drive out to the mine. Although it was a long, dusty, bumpy ride, the views made it worth it. We made our last turn onto the road that takes us to the entrance of the mine. The day was clear and bright. Looking down the hill below the road, I could see the old dry stack foundation that was my object of exploration that day. I had packed my pack with a traditional pick, hammer and small brush I used to clean up the old sites around the claims we held. I loved taking care of history this way and it always richly fed my curiosity for local history. My husband, his friend and I were the only ones out that day. It's easy to tell that because the drive down we have a vantage point where we could see anyone else that day but today we happen to be the only ones. The plan was to drop me on the road about a quarter of a mile from the mine. I would hike down to the structure, do my cleanup, and then hike to the mine where I would meet them. They were moving rock that day, and it's not a chore that I enjoy at all. I grabbed my pack and water, kissed my husband, and started down to the hill. I could hear the truck with the noisy equipment bounce down the road. The hill was fairly steep, so I took my time picking my way past the cactus and through the heavy sage. I spent about an hour pulling weeds and old brush off the remaining rock walls of an old foundation. I tried to restack some falling rocks the best I could, and cleared the opening slash doorway. It's the last thing that I do. But, instead of heading south toward the mine, I went north. I noticed the foundation set next to an old path that followed the wash. There are many of these walking paths that the miners used daily to get to work and to home or into town. To get to work and home or into town. This was in decent shape, so I decided to follow for a little ways. About 300 yards later, I thought I may have stumbled upon a little cemetery. I could see that part of the washbank was shored up with rock, and I thought there could have been some rock stacks that looked like burials. These are not uncommon. Most miners who died were literally buried where they died. Small cemeteries lay littered in a constellation effect over the entire Bradshaw range. Hundreds of them are hidden and now forgotten. I am part of a project that locates and documents these forgotten dead. We identify, clean, and document each one we find so that we can keep a better history of the buried there. So I sat my pack down next to a large tree and dropped to one knee, digging for my dowsing rods. They're a tool I used to gather general information about who was buried in an area. As I unzipped my pack, I caught a whiff of something. It was not quite skunk and not anything in my 40 years that I have ever smelled before. It was passing and I did not give it a second thought until moments later I caught it again. Stronger this time, and suddenly, my unshakable feeling of safety was rocked. I started to feel like I was being watched. Remember, we're the only ones out here in this area. I popped my head up and scanned around, looking and listening for anything out of the ordinary. I had pushed my rods back into my pack and pulled out my gun. The smell, again. Almost like a skunk, but more sour and heavy, like a billy goat smells. That greasy hair, smelling thick like goat but this was not a goat smell. I hollered out, Billy, is that you? Our friend sometimes hikes with me, and he smokes pot. I know that stuff is skunky, but no answer. By this time, I am really feeling unsettled, although I can't hear or see anything. But I know I'm being watched. So I turn and start fast back toward the safety of my husband. The trail back to the mine follows a ridge that rises out of the wash, and as I took it, I could hear something moving through the thick scrub oak, ironwood, and sage that infest the side of the mountain. Something was following me. When I stopped, it stopped. It was directly below me, and I could hear it moving along the side of the mountain when I moved along the trail up the ridgeline. I stopped several times to try and see or hear anything. I could not catch a sight of what it was, but I knew it was intentionally following me. As I moved closer to the mine... I could see our truck, and the thing in the bushes below me suddenly found its way in front of me. I could hear it moving in the brush along the trail that I was headed toward. At this point I was truly afraid. Familiar with the animals that inhabit this area, I was certain that the thing I could smell and was following me on the path was not anything that I was familiar with. Midpoint on the ridge I yelled out for my husband, who then appeared. I asked him to watch me as I broke away from the footpath and beelined it for him down the quote unquote safe side of the mountain. I stayed tucked in the truck for the rest of the trip. The unsettled feeling stuck with me for days. I ended up looking online and connected with a local researcher who was able to tell me that if you drew a straight line from where the Patterson video was made in Gila Bend to Payson, Arizona where many sightings are had, our claim is right on that line. He shared with me that a popular theory held is that Bigfoot do often migrate from hotter areas in the spring up to the north. We are located on that migratory path. Further research has confirmed that the northern Bradshaws are well known for Sasquatch sightings. I have run the gamut of having stumbled across a handful of stinky burrows, not uncommon, to being watched by a cougar, so perhaps I was close to a unique smelling skunk hiding in a bush. I can come up with a possible explanation for practically everything, except my feeling of fear and unsettledness. Nothing I could consider would raise my level of self-preservation to what I experienced that day. I don't know what it was that was with me that day. I am not sure that I want to know. Thank you for all your work on the podcast, and keep it up. Annie. Well, thank you, Annie. First off, let me say that I believe your investigator gave you some bad information. The Patterson-Gimlin film which of course is the film taken by Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin in 1967 of a supposed female Sasquatch, was actually filmed near Bluff Creek, California, not Arizona. So any line he drew would have to have been a thousand miles long, obviously too broad to prove much of anything. But as for your encounter, there's certainly historical sightings to back up your story. In fact, just a short drive away lies the Muggy on Rim, a region of Arizona with its own monster.
7: Well, what's Halloween without a good ghost story? (laughs) Got to have one. In this case, a good monster story, as in the Muggion Monster, Arizona's very own Bigfoot.
1: Yeah, the Muggion Rim is a steep cliff, basically, that runs for about 200 miles from northern Arizona eastward, nearing the border with New Mexico. It's a rugged wilderness that many creatures call home. And as Linda Williams reports tonight, one man says the Muggion Monster is among them.
7: There's all kinds of wildlife on the muggy and rim. As we watched, this young elk strolled calmly down a road near Woods Canyon Lake with its mother nearby. But according to some, there is wildlife in these woods not so keen to be caught
0: on camera. They range from about this tall to about eight feet. Mitchell Waite
7: is the chief
0: monster chaser for muggyandmonster.com. Well, I think they're the same species, but probably different races. The Muggy and Monster is Arizona's Bigfoot.
7: And according to Waite, the Muggy and Monster got his name in 1947 when a big hairy beast raided a Boy Scout camp near Tonto Creek.
0: Because it happened on the Mogeon Rim, the Boy Scouts called it the Mogeon Monster. And that's kind of what stuck, you know. Wait,
7: whose family settled northern Arizona, first heard about the monster around the campfire.
0: You know, they were all about the hairy man or the wild man or something like that. And of course, I didn't believe them. We took all these campfire stories and we published them into a book called The Mogollon Monster, Arizona's Bigfoot. And they, they were just that, campfire stories. No proof, you know, just stories. But stories slowly turned into
7: reality after Wade started receiving reports of Bigfoot sightings and started to investigate for himself. His first sighting was seven years ago while
0: driving up on the rim. I just happened to be, I catch something out of my corner of my eye and I turned and looked and this thing stood up out of a small cave. And my first thought was it looked like Cousin It on the Adams family, you know? But by the time I got it backed up, it had already uh, covered probably 30 f- yards and disappeared into the bushes.
7: Wait showed us photos of the muggy and Monster he and his team have captured. Cal, and that. this video from inside a cave made of sticks and pine needles. Look at this, this, says Waite, is a small baby Bigfoot trying to hide in the corner from his night vision camera. Waite has mapped Muggy and Monster sightings from across the state. There are many, but most are up on the rim, and he's had his own sightings.
0: Probably well over a dozen times now. Yeah. Basically, we try to tweak their interest to come to us. It seems
7: Bigfoot has a big sweet tooth.
0: Cookies or baked goods, anything sweet. They really like sweets.
7: Footprint castings represent the traditional Bigfoot proof of life. Waite has plenty of those, too, along with plenty
0: of doubters. Of course, there's uh, lots of skeptics that just won't won't accept it but also plenty of believers
7: who have a new way to track down an old legend the Muggian monster now with
0: modern uh social media and so forth it's becoming more and more acceptable for people to share what they've seen and what they've heard and even videos or photos now believe me there's a lot of hoaxers out there no but there are a few reputable people that are searching for the truth,
7: and that is why I don't camp. <laughs> <laughs> right there,
4: boy. That is a
1: moment of honesty. There will I love not that. be
7: any camping. I no. won't be in a tent in northern Arizona. I'll the no muggy and monster
1: is that's <laughs> a deterrent. Yeah.
7: If you would like to take a look at more photos of the muggy and monster, just go to foxtenphoenix.com. We've got a link there, we also have more from Mitchell Wait on how to search for the Muggian monster, it's on our YouTube page, youtube.com Fox10Phoenix. Wade would not give us the exact locations of his sightings of the monster, fearing to inform those who would only want to hunt
1: or kill Bigfoot. That clip comes courtesy of Fox10 out of Phoenix, Arizona. So it's obvious that there have been sightings in that region before. So it goes without saying that there certainly might be a monster roaming the highlands of Arizona. A muggy-on monster, if you will. Thanks again, Annie, and thank you all for tuning in tonight. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Warren Pawn Abbott and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Music for this episode was provided by Mayu and Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week.
2: starts with an invitation to experience Lexus, to connect with us, to see that no detail is too small, to be our special guest It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle, but it becomes an exceptional experience
5: The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open, but
2: the offers only last through March 31st Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer Click the banner to discover more